Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of the Soundtracks on the Sticks podcast over on the Night of the Living Geeks podcasting network. Hi, I'm Chris Damaseno. It has been quite some time. I can explain. It's just we've had a whole pandemic going on and timing hasn't worked the best, but I managed to finally find some time today to get this recorded and uh with me as per usual is my co-host jordan young jordan how have you been man it indeed has been a global pandemic and in this global pandemic i actually put a video up on instagram which i rarely do i don't even like being on the camera but i remember i was excited that persona 4 golden had released on steam and even though it seems so minor like Oh, a game came out when people are, you know, people are dying and this, that, and the other. I'm like, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be a game. But even in the darkest times, there's a solid chance that there is something to still make you smile. And there's a quote that I always love, you know, uh, bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Essentially, you know, like, times will be tough, but if you can get through it, you will last. And Persona 4 coming out on Steam was, you know, kind of made me start looking on the bright side. It could be a lot worse, you know. I'm not going to get too into the, the, <coughs> the coronavirus stuff, but as as difficult as these times are, I think as a people, we're having important conversations, important discussions, and most of all, important realizations. I think everybody everybody's bubble is busted. And... I can actually segue this. You know, I'm the king of the segue. I'm going to start branding myself as that. King of the segue. It reminds me of the bubble that burst around video games, where there is a just super, super Japanese feel, Japanese look, and you dismiss it immediately. You know, the, I'll play Final Fantasy, but ugh, this, this weeaboo stuff is ridiculous. I can't, I will die on a hill that Persona be it three, four, five, but mostly four was the one that was like, oh, this stuff is actually like witty and smart. And while I kind of, I kind of like this stuff. And I feel like that kind of burst the bubble of the just, that, you know, no offense, but aggressively Japanese JRPGs with no, like, no tides to Western, you know what I mean? Like, Final Fantasy always has something that is familiar. Persona has nothing. But it burst the bubble, and it showed more people that there's more out there, which is always a good thing. Yeah, it's one of those circumstances where in 2009, when this game broke through, now, Persona 3 had gotten great reviews, and amongst, like, the JRPG community, it's still praised, immensely to this day and rightfully so but uh, when you consider how long the Shin Megami Tensei series which Persona deviates from altogether to Atlas has run for god knows how many years at this point Um, it's just it burst through that bubble it brought uh, this not only the Persona series into a limelight but also the Shin Megami Tensei series altogether got sort of a big raise on its own stock due to that as well and like a lot of the elements that go into a game that's considered possibly one of the greatest in its genre to have done it uh soundtrack plays a key into that uh now for us initially when we were planning this about a month or so ago trying to find a time to record 
our plan initially was to do something with Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which still it's something we'll probably cover uh, down the line. It's still a great soundtrack that we are more than willing to talk about. But with the timing on Steam deciding to go, yeah, we're going to release Persona 4 Golden onto the PC now after so many years of where it was just stuck in one platform, unless you were going the emulators sort of route. You know, we couldn't help ourselves. We had to go in and just take a deep dive on this one. So a quick little prayer to the PlayStation Vita in this case, Jordan, because uh, as of now, uh, its watch has officially ended. The Vita is the... I have this thing about Sony. Sony is either ludicrously ahead of the curve or extremely behind it, and it alternates. Uh, look at the PS1. You know, yeah, the Saturn, Sega Saturn, I guess, but, like, the PS1 and the N64, PlayStation was like, well, we're just going to have, like, disc because we can store 700 megabytes on a disc. And Nintendo was like, cartridges. And then Square Soft was like, Final Fantasy VII can not only be on PlayStation, but the soundtrack can be not my die, you know, or MIDI. I always, or is it MIDI? I never knew. But then the PS2... It's kind of conservative, you know what I mean? Like, didn't have a built-in hard drive, like the Xbox online stuff. And then the PS3 is this ridiculous, the PS2's entire architecture is built into it. It has Wi-Fi in 2005. It's got an internal hard drive and a Blu-ray disc. And now the PS4 is like, you know, like just another run-of-the-mill. While the Xbox One is breaking all sorts of cloud emulation. Why are you going on about this? Very simply, the Vita was awesome. Are you kidding me? An OLED screen, and it has mobile data in 2012, and it is uh, surpasses the PS2 in visual like quality and whatnot. That's in 2012, and a handheld. That's crazy. So when Persona 4 came to the Vita, uh, it was like a no-brainer, because here we are with a, Playsta- a PlayStation 2 game that is made better on a handheld. The only problem is that handheld was the PlayStation Vita. And every time Sony makes that technological progress, maybe a little too fast for their own good, uh, look at the PS3, they have to inevitably scale something back. Second model of the Vita comes out with no mobile data, you know what I mean, no OLED screen. But by then, everybody had just seen it as an overpriced, uh, unnecessary, really, you're going to access mobile data on your like PS Vita. In 2012, we barely had iPhones then. I think like the 4S had just come out. And the platform really survived on, well, it's the best way to play Persona 4. I'll die on that hill. You know what I mean? The Vita, for what, eight years, was the best way to play Persona 4. People would buy Vitas strictly for this one title. 100%. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'm eulogizing the Vita because I sincerely think that Sony busted down a door in the handheld market because if you remember, the Vita was the first thing that could connect to your PS4 as long as you had an internet, a Wi-Fi connection from wherever with Mm -hmm. remote play. And look at remote play now. It's becoming the biggest thing. But it's all wonky. It's on the Vita. It's missing buttons. But it's Steam. Steam now on your phones. 
you could just link up a DualShock 4, link up an Xbox controller, Steam Link, and you could play Persona 4 Golden on the go. Yeah. So now it's like, even the, the, the one advantage that the Vita had is now gone. Because anybody with a smartphone and mobile data can just install Steam Link. Yeah. There you go. It's over. Yeah. Persona 4 on the go, 2020 on a universal platform, Windows. Yeah. And I'm glad for it because especially now with Persona 5 Royal having finally come out into the North American market about, what was it, two, two and a half months ago? Something like that. So to uh, see... Yeah, uh, right before uh, Final Fantasy Summer Remake came out. It's yeah. been an incredible time. It's like as the world worsens, media keeps topping itself. 2020, from a media standpoint, especially in the gaming space, is... Uh, you, dude, FF7 Remake, Persona 5 Royale, Persona 5 Golden on Steam, and The Last of Us 2, all in one quarter. Mm-hmm. What? And Persona 4, to me, it means so much because there are so many people who just got into this series of 5 that are about to experience and hear in my opinion, the best Persona game. The Persona game, like you said, 3 made a splash in the community, but 4 came out, and the anime, the cosplay, and all that stuff, 4 is what made 5 such a big success, because it just blew it out of the water. Only problem was, again, the Vita. Rest in peace, Vita. You had your place, uh, but as you said, your watch has ended. Yeah, but you and... left us with a golden, look at that, a golden ticket because Persona Four, from a music standpoint, was already phenomenal, and then they go and they add about fifteen new songs. Uh, Snowflakes, uh, I'm just jumping into that. Let me say, Snowflakes from the Golden soundtrack. I thought Heaven was the best dungeon music. Persona games will take a lyrical medley. Uh, female-led more often than not. Yeah. Uh, not your first choice for dungeon music in anything, especially a game where you're you know, summoning monsters to fight uh, hellish abominations and all sorts of creative monsters. And it fits so well, and that's like the genius of Persona. If you just listen to it uh, as a whole, you'd, you'd think it was like almost a parody, like almost this weird English-like uh, what is this on um, one of those uh, t- stereotypical like TV shows where we were very racial and sensitive, making fun of Asian people? If you just heard the songs, you would never think that they'd fit in a video game. The the lyrical ones, I mean, and yet Persona really just kicked that door so far down. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of the credit on that goes to really the guy who's been responsible for anything uh, related to Shin Megami Tensei soundtracks uh, by either composing a majority, if not all of it, even going as far as game directing, like some of the remakes that made it into stuff like the PSP and the like, and that's Shoji Meguro. Now, Meguro got hired by the company back in 1996, so he's been there quite some time. He's seen his fair share of games, worked on his fair share of games, now, when it comes to the stuff that he does, a lot of his works are very specifically, there's a signature rock sound to it, but you always see these different variations depending on which games you're going to with Persona 4 in specific having a lot of 
a mixture of rock and orchestra or a little bit of, of electronica thrown in and there, some jazz for sure, which we saw a little bit of it on this one, but it doesn't get like crazy jazz-esque until like Persona 5, I would say. Uh, for sure. Even some hip-hop, which we saw a lot of in 3. But he manages to take all these different styles and make his own blend of them and yet somehow still fit them into all of these different uh, backgrounds uh, and the like. And there was an interesting point that there was also an interview that I read from a couple of years back that he did talking about the Persona 4 soundtrack when they were about to play uh, a lot of those songs in uh, uh, some sort of symphony concert over at Tokyo Metropolitan Art Space back in 2009, 2010, I want to say. But he mentioned specifically a point uh, in terms of the English lyrics in many of the Persona games, mainly being that it's for background, because Japanese people don't fully understand the language. So it kind of helped him create music that wasn't distracting during battle sequences or main themes and the like. And to him, it's also because... From a foreigner perspective, which I can relate with, uh, relate to being Brazilian-born, some things sound cooler in English. Uh, that's as simple of a way of going about it as any. And in, in this rendition, excuse me, for Persona 4, uh, Shihoko Hirata was the main vocalist mm. in a lot of the tracks, and just she added phenomenally to a lot of the atmosphere. Heaven, as you mentioned, is one of the examples. Pursuing my true self, I'll face myself, which. You're going to notice, too, with a lot of these titles for Persona, for Persona 4 songs, they are very literal, in a sense, of where they're being inserted and what they're going for uh, in regards of their placement in the game in and of itself. Now, Meguro also interests me in a lot of ways in just how his inspirations and what he cites uh, for him. You have kind of your mixture of jazz influences like guy, uh, people such as T-Square, Cassiopeia, and then you have Beethoven and Tchaikovsky for classic music related, but then you also have all other composers within that JRPG or gaming community like Koichi Sugiyama, who's done a lot of the work on Dragon Quest throughout the years, uh, Hiroshi Kawaguchi, who did, who's worked for Sega for Eon, so he's done stuff like Space Harrier, Hang On. Uh, he was one of the three original composers for the first Sonic game as well, too, I believe. Really? Yep. And then uh, Takino Mitsuyoshi, who did uh, Daytona USA, uh, Virtua Fighter 2, Shenmue, and then a bunch of other Sega titles as well. So having all those influences uh, with his particular style, once you dive in a little bit Which, further. not to cut you off, that's actually interesting considering uh, Sega acquired Atlas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there yeah. is definitely that as well, too. That, con- that connection kind of goes an extra degree at this point with Sega having acquired them quite some time ago. And, and for Maduro being so into kind of those game sounds, that has to be one of those, even if those composers aren't on, you know, we all think like composers are hired and stay on with the company. Uh, Art is almost always freelance. I never understood, like, this actor is unemployed after this movie. I'd be like, what do you mean? He's just going to go on the next set. It's like, no. And especially for art. So I don't know if those composers are still with Sega, but how cool must it be just for him being a fan of that sound to be like, oh, like, I'm, in a way, now making music for Sega. Yeah, definitely. I figure, especially now with, Persona 5 uh, taking off the way that he has over the past couple of years and just 
continuing the Persona bubble explosion. And we don't say that lightly, by the way, because once Persona 4 hit, it hit the ground running. Like, it was the thing in the cosplay community for a couple of years there. That's technically how I actually met Jordan in the first place here, because at one point or another, he did bust out... Uh, Oh, it's one of the situations where we call him Yunarukami now because that's the canon name that they gave him, but at one point or another the manga called him Soji Seta, so that's Soji the name that we went with. And it's And again, it was spelled S O U J I, which I thought was hilarious because again, I am no expert in Japanese. I was like, shouldn't that be S O J I and yeah. it isn't Seta before, but like you have to switch because family name you know, this is why uh, this particular episode excited me. So, um, not to go into a personal antidote, but I guess it, does, it is pretty important and oddly topical with the game. Uh, when I was 20, 21, uh, my friends had gone to this event called Otakon. I always knew that people, like, dressed up as characters and, like, went to like, because you know Star Wars conventions and whatnot, I always knew there was like anime conventions and me being at that age and being the while I was not part of a fret uh, I was, I had discovered how to fake it and be popular and the last thing, despite my love for what's now cool, all things nerdy uh, you wouldn't catch me in public you know what I mean like, are you, really? So my friends go to Otakon. I'm like, what a nerd fest. I was like, this looks, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Are they serious? Are these people sane? Um, that's a whole conversation for another day. It's one of those, I didn't know how right I was, but at the time, I didn't know how wrong I was approaching it. Of course, like all good stories, uh, a girl that you're into mentions it. All of a sudden, you'll do anything. But I figured if I'm going to go, I'm going to go all the way. And at the time, uh, Persona 4 had yet to come out. It, this was August 2008, so it was already out in Japan. And I was already listening to the battle theme, Reach Out to the Truth, mm -hmm. which, you know, Persona 3, everybody knows the chorus, ooh, yeah, da, 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 you know, mass destruction. The majority, of this, yeah, the majority of the song, though, is lo Lotus Juice rapping. Yeah. Um, having a fully... You know, and the Persona 3 battle theme, you know, even if you're not, if you're one of those, like, uh, this music is like, whatever, it's got a little groove to it, and it just works. Persona 4's battle theme, though, is almost a complete, I don't even want to call it pop. It's, if you heard it on the radio, you would think it's like bubblegum pop, because the guitar riffs are very hard, but the, the lyrics and just the way the song goes is so chick. That's an old term, but you know what? We're old enough to remember when things were chick. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that. It's so chick. It's such a, a pop song that you know the chorus comes out and you can just hear it being yelled at a festival, and that is not your normal JRPG battle theme whatsoever. Mm -hmm. However, it's gone on to become so so popular and so remixed that in Persona Five. Uh, once again, the battle theme is completely female-led, no male vocals, you know, nothing to try to be like, make it hard. 
persona, and especially if this Persona 4's battle theme reads out to the truth, really, really, really embraced that. And now there's so many games that the battle theme is just like a female-led vocal song. And the um, other thing to point out, too, with Golden as well, is that they went a step up on that in the fact that you have two different battle themes that can play right. under the normal dungeons depending on how you sort of interact with the opponents. So if you're ambushing them, for example, which is getting behind a shadow and hitting it so that way you initiate the battle with a player advantage, that will get you to reach out to the truth team that was the staple in the regular Persona 4, but then you have a different theme altogether that plays on any normal encounters if you just hit the shadow normally or if they ambush you kind of thing. Right, well. so, time to make history. Which, again, same artist, you know, uh, all female-led, and it's another hit. And the Persona 4 normal battle theme is legitimately my favorite standard battle theme in all JRPGs. So it's one of those, I can't believe they messed with perfection. I don't care if people have heard it 10,000 times. They should listen to it 50,000 times. Yeah. Uh, so I was very much on my, on my fanboy, on my... Why would they? Why would they even try to add to perfection? And I love the song. I say that to show how unaccepting I was. Of you know, could you imagine? You know, uh, somebody were to play Final Fantasy VII, and they got into a random battle, and it, like when it's uh, a preemptive strike or a back attack, something other than let the battles begin, plays right. Mm-hmm. That that's like blasphemy against the world. But imagine, so how good does a song have to be for a fan like me to not only accept it, fall in love with it too, to where now I'm open to Persona 4 has two battle themes. Uh, what a great song. What yeah. a, and the, that's the thing with Golden too. Uh, it didn't, a lot of games do the whole like reorchestrations and I'm all for it. A lot of definitive editions and whatnot. But I almost feel like you create two soundtracks if I'm making sense mm-hmm. and people are more inclined to hear the newer one and the newer game and maybe some of the magic of the original uh, even if it is even 8-bit 60-bit soundtrack will get lost Persona 4 Golden just has the exact same soundtrack mm-hmm. plus like 20 new songs yeah. you know they added yeah. stuff yeah but it's the situation where they kept pretty much everything else. If At worst, they just improved the quality of it for the new hardware that they can work with and the like. Uh, but yeah, it is an interesting point that you bring there in the fact that, you know, even with a alternation of the old game with more added content onto it, you'd think, hey, maybe they'll try to do some new stuff with the soundtrack here and there because you've seen different titles both back at that time when it originally came out to now uh doing you know different soundtracks i mean we ourselves have been playing xenoblade chronicles recently and we saw what they did with that entire soundtrack doing it it, doing it re entirely from the ground up and giving you the option to switch between what they did for the newer stuff or the original that was on the wii u so it's like or the regular way again yeah Can you believe it's been that, like, you'd think Xenoblade Chronicles was a Wii U game, but it wasn't, which is kind of wild. Like, technically that game is two generations behind, but it feels so new. Uh, And that's, too, 
a lot of games will do the, you know, have the original and the remastered. You can switch between the two in-game and in the menu, which is the coolest thing. I, I'm sure it takes a ridiculous amount of space because audio is so massive. And I, I mentioned that because when you listen to the Persona 4 soundtrack, what a lot of people forget, this is a PlayStation 2 game. Oh, yeah. And it is not a big-budget PlayStation 2 game like Final Fantasy X, like God of War, like yeah. Metal Gear Solid 2, to have, uh, obviously, it's not uncompressed audio. But, you know, back then, linear PCM was, like, crazy. You know, only the big-budget games, they would often, you'd be able to kick around. Uh, even 5.1 in some of the later PS2 games. Persona 4 soundtrack had none of that in-game, yet it released so late, 2008, which was, you know, PS2, PS3 was two years old at that point. When that game released, the audio quality, and I actually looked this up, the audio quality that Magura was able to, to get on disc is actually above a lot of those big-budget PS2 games strictly by the nature of what he had to work with, you know, 2000 versus 2007. Same platform, same console. And when you listen to the... Uh, download the soundtrack, I remember being like, wow, these, like, even, you know, compress the MP3. Why is, why is, this, why is this game's file sizes, music file sizes, so much bigger than, like, Pens and whatnot. I mean, it's all the same. And then it hits me like, oh my goodness, you know, this game came out in 2008. They were working with audio programs, uh, mixing and stuff like that, you know, that would would be on the PS3 in a PS2 game. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm sure maybe 1% of the listeners even thought about that and processed it. But I just remember a big thing about Persona in the video game music community. People were like, for PS2 games, the mastering on this is incredible. Yeah. You know. And, and the biggest way that you can tell that is by listening to Aria of the Soul, which was a key feature, of course, in Persona 3 for the PlayStation 2 folks that ended up going through that. But then you listen between those two games and just the mixing and the like, and just it's a night, it is a night and day difference between the two. And I mean, Aria of the Soul is that timeless track in every Persona game that you've seen since the beginning as mentioned in the earlier portion of the show that was the first track that Meguro composed for Atlas in the first place so a lot of history there as is and what I find really interesting about it and a lot of people video game, video game music fans especially people who are like deep into it and kind of follow it uh, like anything else, you know what? I have to stop prefacing by saying, like, when you're deep in this stuff, I think nowadays, especially due to the, obviously, the internet and the connectivity, I think everybody that likes something essentially becomes a diehard fan because you truly can get as much of it as you want. You know what I mean? Back in our day, you beat a game and, like, you would scour magazines trying to just find a blurb about it. Now... You can like something and listen to thousands of people, even if it's obscure, go on about it, and then learn about every little nook and cranny at your leisure. So, you know what? 
2020, I'm gonna stop us being like to the deep video game music fans. If you like video game music, you're probably a bajillion comments on YouTube deep and just know the whole thing. So the big thing was when Persona 5 was coming out, everybody was like, I hope they don't change Eye of the Soul. Which you would think, because of Persona 1 and Persona 2, uh, the song is mixed. Kind of like the, it's the Persona main theme, and, you know, every Final Fantasy game that has the Final Fantasy theme, it sounds different in every single one of them. And not just because, you know, you start with 8-bit and now, now, without fail, the main theme of Final Fantasy, we can all hum it, but we also all hear a different mix of it in our head, if I'm making sense. Maybe the one from 7, maybe the one from 9, maybe you're at the point where you just kind of combine them all to just kind of like the hum, but you know it's different every game. Eye of the Soul in Persona 3 is the same one that is used in Persona 4, Persona 5, Persona 4 Arena, Persona 4 Ultimax, uh, Persona 3, 4, and 5 Dancing. The original mix of the song uh, well, I guess the remake, Persona 3's remix of it, uh, is now untouched in the Persona games. And what, you know, Persona 3 came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. Persona 5 came out in 2016. That's 10 years, three games, three spinoffs using the exact same mix of the song, and everybody loves it. Which means, take the time you spend in the Velvet Room, you've been listening to that song in different... It's like if three Final Fantasy games in a row had the same battle theme. Yeah. And like, and that would... People are like, that would be ridiculous. This song is so good, people are like, if they, if you go to the Velvet Room and they even play a remix of the track, I'm throwing the game away. (laughs) Like, that's, that is crazy. But that's how good the song is. It's unbelievable. It's what it's one of those situations where, again, uh, for those of you who may have not played for the Persona series as of yet, uh, the Velvet Room is kind of your meeting point in a lot of places where you're going to be doing a lot of the work to make certain uh, characters, aka your personas, stronger by fusing them and the like. So you're going to be spending a lot of time there. So to have a theme that is this good playing throughout it at the very least is a very welcome uh, point of things because if the song was nowhere near as good and you had to be at this place to do all these different things for a majority of the game just you'd be it, it almost would put a sour taste in your mouth at that point I would think for you spend, the rest of it you spend as much time in the Velvet Room as you spend uh, in the dungeons you know doing the doing the combat and whatnot. The Velvet Room in Persona is, I like what you say there, you know, the meeting point, because it's like, you don't go to do the combat portions of the game without a stop in the Velvet Room. You just don't, every time. Because, you know, you want to change so much, you want to edit so much, and the exact same song is played for three games without even a... a there have been, it's been remixed a ton of times, I want to clarify, the song is indeed remixed a ton of times, even in each game. However, when you go to the Velvet Room, that original mix of it is the exact same one in Persona 3 and 4 and 5. And you spend half the game there. So the song is, not only is it played a bajillion times in one game, in its sequels, 
with completely different everything, no recurring tracks, unless there's like a go back to the go back to a place from the old game moment. This song is the same in all those games. I dare I say that's like it might be one of the only game songs to ever do that. Actually, have the same location in multiple games, and have the the song play. And it's not remixed in any of the uh, of the following games in that same area. That's yeah. kind of crazy when you think about it, actually. True. That's but I do wild. Like, yeah, but I do like the fact that in a way that does connect pretty much every single one of the Persona series in one way or another to themselves in terms of the timeline. Because we've seen at this point with them saying that, yeah, you're going through one, two, three, four, and five, and that all of them are canon. They're just happening all within a few years of each other in in such remote areas that you can work around the timeline to do certain things like what they did with Persona 4 Arena by bringing the characters from 3 and 4 together within the same environment within months after the story from 4 having wrapped itself up uh, as that situation. But... When talking about 4, and we mentioned some of the main songs that played throughout it too, but there's also just the fact that they, uh, as Jordan mentioned, they do such a good job in terms of integrating the soundtrack to the environment that we're in, which is a very small town that's supposed to be uh, a fictional town in the outskirts of, like, Mount Fuji, so in the boonies, basically. Uh, Literally the boonies. Uh, And yet they have all these different tracks playing through, like depending on what areas you're roaming around the city portion, whether that's the shopping shopping center portion, uh, where you have, I think it's Signs of Love, that's placed for a majority of that. Signs of Love actually... uh, Or wait, is that for the school? Signs of Love is the... House theme, I believe. Yes. When you're, okay, when you're, you're right. In, no, uh, don't you're right. House. In the in the in the in the residence. So it would be uh, running around right? is you know it's your affection and a uh, heartbreak heartbreak. There's a heartbreak heartbeat. One of the That's orders, it. but yeah, well, your affection for sunny days and uh, heartbeat heartbreak for the uh, fall of the radio days. Both of which are now in Persona Three. There was only one. Uh, kind of traversal theme, you know, when the moon's reaching out for the stars until the plot changes it. But yeah. in 4, they, you know, took to alternating uh, depending on the weather. And once again, that is, you know, uh, spoilers for a, a 11-year-old game, or 12 this year, goodness gracious. But, um, you know... The, the the condition of the weather actually plays a significant part of the plot. So you have these two songs, one which is just the brightest, sunniest, you can't help but sing along catchy song. The other one, it's got a little groove to it. It's got a little beat to it. Mm-hmm. And the, J-pop, you, the J-pop kind of feel to it, with Heartbeat, Heartbreak, for it, sure, is their influence. And once again, you mentioned kind of the lyrics just being... Um, you can try to follow them. They don't really make sense. If you read them, you can apply them to the plot. However, uh, any native English speaker, I challenge them to under, like get it 100% right while listening. I don't know about you, but everybody, I know I sing along with the songs. I'm probably not anywhere close to what it's supposed to be. And I think that even adds even more. Because when you're going through it, 
it's it never gets repetitive because and I really I don't know if this was a stylistic choice, uh, but because Maduro could have easily just got um, an English a native English speaking singer, you know what I mean? Instead of I I believe the I know Sirocco uh, knows you know conversational English like they all do, but even people that can speak a language can't sing it. So imagine not being fluent in a language, probably only really being able to read the words and trying to form a, me- a melody of it. It's going to sound, and that's where the, you know, like, not gibberish, but, uh, English. I, I, yeah, that's probably, that's probably one of those things that's like, has, has a uh, negative, uh, almost like racial history to it, but it's, it, it's the term for now. So, by all means, if I am wrong with, with using that term, uh, do let me know. But generally, it's called just English. And uh, I think that's really cool because the lyrics never get repetitive because some of it almost becomes, like you mentioned, uh, kind of just like background noise. You're like, what a yada da, bada bada bada, yeah, 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 the song. Mm-hmm. And, but then for those curious, for those that are like, what? What are the actual lyrics? If you read them, they tell the story of the game. So there's like this bonus intrigue almost for native English speakers, uh, you know, that I I really think Maduro was smart enough to have done that on purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, of course, for the native Japanese speakers are like, oh, what's the translation on this? What, you know, I suppose you're going to be like, oh, what is she saying? What is the translation on this? How many of us have uh, tried to look up, like, the translation for One Winged, one winged Angel? All of us have. Yeah, you know? So, by making it English, you, obviously, for the native Japanese speakers, they're like, what, are, what, what does this actually mean, translate it? However, for us native English speakers... It's that, like, there's always those couple words that you know you're just getting wrong every time you try to sing along. So you go look it up, you read it, and lo and behold, you too get the bonus. How smart is that? Yeah. You know, that's so smart. And it's also one of those things, too, when on that interview from a couple of years ago, Meguro actually got asked about when he was writing Pursuing My True Self, which is the opening theme for... Uh, the original Persona, Persona 4, before they did Shadow World for Golden, uh, they asked him if he was aware of any elements of the storyline, such as the drama revolving around the murder mystery. And yes, this game is legitimately like a murder mystery, which for those few of you who blend into the anime video game community and have seen JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of similarities in terms of that kind of murder mystery in a small town scenario. But... For whatever uh, it's worth, right quick, if anybody hears raindrops, that is not uh, ambience on purpose while talking about cloudy parts of the game. It literally is uh, coming down a little bit here in Newark, Delaware. So that's yeah. that's cute. But it almost fits because half of Persona 4 is rainy days. That's when the heartbeat song plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way that Meguro described it, just to go back to that point, is that he mentioned the music for the opening sequence having been written first, but that he had gotten the rough outline of the scenario. So then just the details of the composition came together as the development of the story and all the spoken dialogue was actually happening underway in that 
and this is just his quote exactly. In a sense, composing a soundtrack is a lot like writing a story. First, it's essential to have an impression of the overall shape and then determine the finer details, such as the melody lines for each song. In my work, I construct the framework to guide my process, and only then do I actually start composing. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And that's one of the, the great mysteries uh, to me. I, I think we you know, may have even covered this. I don't know about you, but as much as I love music, as much as music is not... I mean, I think everybody listens to music every day, but, you know, especially video game music fans, uh, to every song has a story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you don't need a music video or you know how it is. Why do singles exist in popular music? Generally because either you hear it on the radio, it's in a commercial, you can put something to it which adds more to the song, you know? Maybe uh, one more time, you say that, and pe immediately people will see the skirt and hear the, you know. For video game songs, though, even, uh, even the most mundane tracks have a purpose, if you will. So the thing is, though, for me, I understand that. I have connections to all sorts of music. I don't know the first thing. Like, how does one sit down and make a song? How do you... Isn't it all just random, like, like noises? Like, how, how do you even... I, I know absolutely nothing about that. So hearing that he's able to not only have the process but change the process as he goes, as he learns more through the game. That is That level of talent is just incredible. Because in Persona 4, there are... The main thing of the game is pretty much confronting those feelings that we all keep aside, confronting the part of you. Uh, you, know, you can even tell by pursuing my true self. I think we all do that, but... We all want to, and then the boss battle theme is called I'll Face Myself. Uh, and that's also, well, I'll Face Myself battle. And it's also kind of the overarching theme of the game. And I find that track to be very interesting because unlike the normal battle theme, which is, you know, female vocal-led, you, you can just, you know, it's it's got a groove. Yeah, it's guitarist or whatnot, but it is surely poppy. Um, the boss battle theme is nothing but heavy guitar riffs. Oh, goodness, yep. They go you know, into a completely different level. At that point, just to kind of show the sense of urgency in I'll Face Myself with that, and then they have this sort of R&B arrangement for the aftermath of those battles because, again, this is a 12-year-old game, so spoilers are going to happen, but more often than not, you are finding a lot of your future party members in the game's other selves first so that way the original character can accept their particular shadow gain their persona powers and then they join your party as that situation but so while you're trying to figure out uh basically as a whodunit mystery which which is i find that they you know the treasure for the boss battle theme uh just went all in on like just this heavy guitar thing that you'd hear out of like nocturne or something because it sells it's really good at selling the tension of the situation, also because uh, majority of the other songs, not just the battle song, are sung by, you know, the, the same person. You hear her voice throughout everything. When you're, you know, the town themes, all lyrical. 
school theme. There isn't a specific school theme. It's just the town theme. Both lyrics. Go home, the lyrics. Get into a regular battle, the lyrics. The game actually does not have a mini-boss theme, which is disappointing. Uh, but Reach Out to the Truth is so awesome, you kind of forgive it. You hear, you know, the, the singing in every single thing you do. And then the boss battle hits, and it's nothing but heavy guitar riffs. Uh, setting the tone, uh, whoo, what a decision, and it works. It's like, oh, wow, something is odd. And then to be able to take that that boss theme and turn it into kind of a, this prideful, powerful song afterwards, you know, accepting your true self, it's a very hard thing to do. And it's pulled off incredibly in this game, which yeah. it, it, it doesn't. And then, ironically, the it's kind of glossed it over earlier, but there's a point in the game where the stakes jump through the roof. And in that dungeon, now the dungeon themes are, you know, the first one in Yukiko's Castle is sort of... Uh, Castle it, is legitimately, I think, one of the most underrated... Uh, dungeon themes altogether just because when you hear it so early and then you get everything right. else on top of it but talk about something that sets the theme because of the fact that not only you have one bird two different shadow battles in that same environment and just man whew, it, it did a really good job with that in my opinion then you got you know you got sauna you have game uh, you know, you have the, I think it's called Shadow of Naoto's yeah. Dungeon thing. You have these, you know, the club Secret Base, I believe, that, is the one for yeah. Naoto, and then Striptease for Rise. Uh, Rise. The interesting have... thing for me, because you mentioned game, and I just want to touch on that for a second, with that being Mitsuo's dungeon, but then you also remember the boss theme for that is that 8-bit version of, you know, I'll Fix Myself, which is... In the Vita, in, only in yeah, gold. Incre yeah, incredible. Yeah, on gold, on gold and only, you get the regular theme if you're playing the old Persona 4 on the PS2 like I originally have done, but just Same. playing through Golden like I have been the past couple of weeks. I just gotten past Matsuo's Dungeon a couple of days ago, so hearing that 8-bit boss theme was just because, phenomenal. Yeah, the, Such an amazing the, the touch. Boss is, uh, the boss is actually themed uh, yeah. around the dungeons kind of themed around this guy thinks his reality is a game and it manifests as like you know a bit character and there was a uh, there was a remix on the soundtrack of the boss battle theme and it's an 8-bit and everybody and their mother was like why didn't this play in the 8-bit dungeon and it's just cool that they were they probably you know how to actually why doesn't it but what I was kind of getting at with the dungeon themes is that uh, when you finally, there's this really high stakes dungeon uh, towards the end that is such a personal, like, a big plot thing happens. The subject of the dungeon is very emotional. Um, and now it's the first dungeon to have the singing and the lyrics. Mm -hmm. So it's such an interesting change because, you know, you go to the dungeon, the dungeon theme, but the battle theme is always the you know, happy one, and you're kind of off by the boss theme. But by that point in the game, we're used to the, you know, boss theme is the big, heavy guitar screeching sound. You go in this dungeon, and you probably expect, you know, a very tense dungeon song, and it is the, one of the most upbeat, upbeat, happy, relaxing songs in the game. You hear it, and you're like, this should be the Sunny Days theme. 
but yet it plays when you walk into the uh, pen, third to last, not penultimate, but the third to last dungeon in the game, and it's just such a what? Yeah, it, it's so cool. And how they sort of, subvert that? Yeah, and then you sort of also get in turn of that immediately after that particular dungeon where you have. Um, Sorry, the name for a second. Where you have Long Way playing, which is almost like a catch-me-if-you-can sort of vibe to it that plays back to the very first dungeon theme at, mm -hmm. the, uh, at the liquor store where Yoski is situation. Yeah. And, then the, and then just the pianos pick up on it. And you're just like, ooh. Like, you have the feeling like, okay, we're getting onto something here at this point. And considering what that dungeon entails and who's the person behind it, which is as it turns out, is the perp who done it, if you will. Uh, yeah, it's they do a really good job in terms of those, and that's before even getting into, you know... Weirdly enough, Persona is one of those games that you have... Before Golden came out, you had three different endings to it. The really bad ending where you just would not get uh, any access to the final dungeon in any way, shape, or form... A sort of okay, goodish ending after you figure out certain things, or you know the true ending if you really, really dive it deep enough into it and like uh, do certain tasks that you were supposed to do before it's all said and done. Which Golden only added on top of it, from what I can recall, with the what, um, forest situation in Marie's uh, dungeon. And with Golden, actually, so something really cool uh, happened again with Golden. Uh, every Persona game uh, has a remix soundtrack, generally called, uh, well, 3 is just like called Reincarnation, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, Persona 4 and Evermore. Um, on that, the boss battle theme, I'll Face Myself, has this incredible orchestral remix, uh, you know. And of course, with any remix soundtracks like that, you know, like all the Final Fantasy VII piano collections, if you will, and whatnot. So in Persona 4 Golden, the boss battle theme remains the exact same throughout the game. However, in Marie's Dungeon, they actually take the orchestral one from the released a year after uh, soundtrack and use it strictly for this one battle. Because, you know, as if to be like, this is extra, and obviously this is a boss fight, but much like doing the 8-bit remix for Mitsuo, they're like, this one needs a little extra sauce. And they take it from that sound, you know, the remix soundtrack, and put it in the game. I thought that was, like, an awesome touch. It just made it so, like, oh, wow, we're, we're, we're really doing this, you know? Um, they did not touch the final boss theme, however. So, again, 11-year-old spoilers. Um, the final dungeon... Uh, that you get to if you answer everything right actually isn't the last dungeon. There's um, there's actually the like final final boss, mm -hmm. and what I found interesting, you know, it's a it's a two stage fight. Um, so of course the song changes. Uh, the first song uh, it's called Mist. It's also called Fog, depending on the translation of the soundtrack. You know, I think Fog is like the official English translation. Um, it's still missed in my, uh, you know, Apple yeah, Music yeah. Library because it, it just sounds cooler. I don't know. But uh, that song, it, it's great. But, you know, it's very, uh, 
it's the final boss song in any SMT game, you know? Hard guitars and riffs, but the final boss song is called The Genesis. And it is yeah. the most interesting... Keep in mind, I am a guy who was 10 when One Winged Angel hit, and, you know, voices in video games were not a thing. So I had the whole, like, you know, oh my god, it's this song has words moment, you know, and been video game music obsessed ever since. I have never heard a final boss theme like the Genesis because the Genesis is really, really boring. It it is it's in like this staunch contrast to the rest of the game when you first hear it. It's very low. It's just this constant bump. It, it's like, uh, you know, it sounds like the song that would play the main melody of it in a horror movie as the villain, as the slow-walking villain gets closer. Or a slasher, I should say. Bump, bump, bump. And it's just so slow. And as the song goes on, all of a sudden, out of the blue, after four minutes, uh, orchestral version of I'll Face Myself, the boss battle theme, gets moved in there. And it's subtle at first, and then they run it again, and you're like, oh. And then the song almost goes quiet. Like, it's almost ambient. It's, it, it, you hear just this little hum, hum, hum kind of thing, and it's quiet. You don't even really, you know, you can hear it on the soundtrack, but when you're fighting the boss with the, you know, the, the combat sound effects and the characters, you know, calling out their spells and whatnot, you don't even really notice. And then out of nowhere, a, you know, an orchestral version of the main battle theme, like, the best way I can explain it just rages in, comes in like a truck, right? And it is the coolest goosebumps, hair standing up moment. Because, and it, it, everyone, you know, indulges. Everyone wants to have the epic final boss theme. Everybody, that's when you bust out all your Gregorian chanting. That's when you put it all in. And... I remember being, like, almost disappointed. Like, I get it, but this final boss song, it's, like, almost hopeless. It's, like, you know, it's, like, it's very mood-setting, but you think for a Persona game, especially because Persona 3's last battle song... Oh, yeah, I was the, actually about you know, to get to that point exactly. The, the battle for everyone's souls is what we came out of before this with that expectation of oh, hey, this final boss theme is just going to be, like, an outright, you know... Yeah, they took Aria the like Soul, the, the main Persona theme, and turned it into a battle song. And yeah. it's in, it's incredible. It is so good. It is so raining right now. Holy and crap. Yeah, it, and yet it's one of those interesting things in that both the Battle for Everyone's Souls and the Genesis do have one thing in common in that they are playing very specifically to certain moments in these particular fights. Now, with as you mentioned, the really big brass composition for I'll Face Myself and that reprisal coming through happening kind of to match with the game where, you know, the main character actually manages to get through uh, the final, final boss's uh, defenses by summoning basically like what is considered to be the ultimate persona of that particular game, and uh, just the original is a Nami 
plus uh of course the name is escaping me right now is is anami no something uh Izanami no kami or something of the sort no yeah. kami there we go yep that's the one Izanami Just... no kami. and it is like and it's such a thing right because i thought it was it very interesting no excuse me yeah mm-hmm. how when it comes to the final boss theme in almost all jrpgs uh, especially jrpgs that have you know just one normal battle theme and one boss theme. The normal battle theme never gets any, I guess, love or any reprisal because you've been hearing it for, you know, like 30 to 60 hours. So for the an orchestration of the normal battle theme to be the exclamation point on the final boss theme is like, it, it just, it makes it come full circle because by that point in the game, and this is an 80-hour game, it is by far the most recognizable song like the original Persona 4 again time to make history is only in golden so you have heard uh, reach out to the truth at minimum 9,000 times Some, mm-hmm. you know it's an 80 hour game and you fight oh goodness what like probably 100 battles in a, in a dungeon run plus you know it, it, it just feels so final it feels like it all comes together. It's so good. And a lot of games, you know, you do the easy thing. You you bring in the main theme, you know what I mean, for the big orchestra. Or you bring in the character, the protagonist itself. They do it with the normal battle theme, and it just works so well. And then afterwards, when you actually go back, and you're not stressing about the fight, and you listen to the Genesis front to back, you notice that even though the song is, you know, very slow, it's actually really good and really picks up the pace. And, like, the entire package is uh, about 740, and you can listen to it through. It's, like, I. it's rare that for a lot of people, and, you know, it makes it sound like, so you have to listen to five minutes of kind of a boring track to get to the last two minutes that are just uh, orchestral, you know, remixes of the boss battle theme and the main battle theme, and it's like, in in a less skilled composer, that would be kind of a flub. Here, however, the Genesis ends up being, like, my favorite song in the game. But you have to... it's, It's also one of those songs, in my opinion, where if you just listen to it, it won't hit. If you just, if you know the battle theme and the boss battle theme and listen to it, it just won't hit. Going through the entire game and doing the final battle with it playing is one of, uh, I straight up, uh, the only other time that I've been like, holy crap, was One Winged Angel. And I was 10. I was 21 when I beat Persona 4. 21. And so many video game soundtracks down. And the Genesis gave me that, like, wow. Uh, Like, drop the controller and just be like, holy crap. I think everybody could say the first time they play, uh, like, the first time you fight the final boss, you kind of hear the song, but, like, not really. Because, you know, you're trying to win. And then you always run it back. Nah. That song stopped me, took me out. I just, like, sat on the menu. And just let it loop like three times. Like, whoa, this is awesome. Yeah, one of those. Incredible. One of those, you know. But yeah, I'd say just in general, when it comes to soundtracks, again, 
we've mentioned this before, but Persona 4's impact altogether, I think as a game altogether, the gameplay and everything else with it is phenomenal. It's a game that you should go out of your way and play, especially now with Golden being out on Steam, but I do think that this specific soundtrack that Shoji Meguro made for it from top to bottom, it may not be considered like the best best arguably by even persona standards like a lot of people will go into three and go yeah there's still a lot of stuff here that we like better than this but i think just from an atmospheric setup from beginning from beginning to end that it was just so well done that it uh emphasized like the strengths of the game that much more to where it's important enough to where we're talking about it in the podcast at this point and to where it's still going to live out to me as one of just the better overall soundtracks that I've listened to in a video game and pretty much ever. So, I, I, will, I sincerely believe that it is the best soundtrack when it comes to recurring themes being put in the right place at the right time. Um, for the, I guess, current day modern, the undisputed, uh, like, heavyweight champion of that is Undertale, right? Like, Undertale, even Toby's been like, I made, like, five songs and got a hundred out of them, right? And I really, and I don't know if the man even played Persona 4, but I can, a lot of games now, will have five or six songs that they get about 50 songs out of, and you don't even notice because of how good it's intercepted. Uh, again, I, I'm not using like the musical terms because I am the furthest thing from a... <laughs> a any, to ask me to carry a tune or play a note, and uh, you might as well just dig my grave. I can't do it if there's a gun to my head. But I do know when... The, the, the intended feeling, I guess, comes together. And Persona 4, through audio, sold those characters, those locations, and the moments using... Don't get me wrong, the whole soundtrack is phenomenal, but it's one of the, one of the first JRPGs to really hammer like its main songs throughout the entire game and they never get stale. They're always fresh and they always hit the right emotional beat. And that is a very difficult thing to do. And it's why most JRPG soundtracks are like four discs and 120 tracks because, you know, the composers are just go, 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 something else, something else, something else, new location, new location. How Soji did this for Persona 4, I do not know. But I'm glad he did. And I'm glad his influence has spread to other composers because the man is... Everybody uses the word genius a lot. Um, they use genius for people who are immensely talented. However, um, and this is no respect to anyone else, um, There's a, I think to even be able to be a composer in a multi... in a big project, you are extremely talented, right? I, I, and you know, how many people know how to play instruments? How many, how many bands do we not even know exist, right? But I think that this man, due to his stylistic choices, 
how he uses the English language as a Japanese person in a way that will make, as I described earlier, Japanese people and American people want to go look for the lyrics and get more out of it. And the way he ties it all together and the way he, he lays it on just enough to where it doesn't drive, you know, because you, of course, English is not your first language. I always, uh, tell me if you agree with this, you know, um, we think anime sounds better in Japanese, but that's only because we don't know, we don't speak Japanese, so we don't really know what bad Japanese sounds like, right? Um, yeah. I think for him to be able to take English, make it English, which is usually insulting, and make it just English enough to where we still think it's really good, that is a testament to a man, and I'll use the word, genius. That is very hard to do. He does not speak English. If I tried to write a song, if I tried to write music and use Spanish words and make it like just sound uh, like, you know, Spanglish enough to where native Spanish speakers wouldn't be like, this is ridiculous, but also be like, get into it. That's really hard to do. Yeah, and there is a quick credit to that as well, too, is that ever since Persona 3, Meguro has worked with a specific lyricist who writes a lot of the uh, lyrics to the songs called Reiko Tanaka. So it's uh, compo- it's someone he's contributed with dating back to the uh, original, per- like, you know, with the Persona, I think, remake that they did back on the PSP. Yeah. Uh, Persona 3 and Persona 4 was part of that as well too so i mean there's definitely help in that regard and i mean even with persona 5 he's worked with like lynn and all these other stuff like that to continue so it's been an ongoing trend for him so he definitely gets his help in that regard but putting it all together has been just excellent he's the visionary at the end of the day and it's such a gamble um one of the one of the quotes that I, i think applies here um and is uh, not to be offensive again. That's why I'm took the time to call the man a genius. Do you know how hard it is to stylistically suck? Like to make something that technically is like, this is ridiculous, but it's still awesome and have it be, you know, intentional. That's one of the hardest things to do in, in media. Unless you're like Mike Judge, you can make Beavis and Butthead complete idiots, but they're also like, genius savant level analyst about random stuff it's very hard to do that and through these persona four songs that it if objectively from a music a lyricist would be like what is this gibberish but to have the native english speakers be like this is awesome yeah that is from a man that does not speak the language wow just again wow it's one thing to butcher. It's another thing to purposely have that kind of like angle. You know what I'm trying to say, basically. Like, it's one thing to have a non-native speaker sing it and butcher it and make it sound that way. It's another thing to meticulously be like, I know you can do this perfectly, but can we just turn up the English just a little bit for the style I'm going for and make it holy? What talent? Yeah. Definitely so. And again, just uh, glad that we got the chance to talk to you guys a little bit. And thanks for listening, first and foremost. I know we've been gone 
a little while at this point. For sure. You know uh, what? I've actually had a revelation right quick. Mm-hmm. I am 33 years old now. You know what? You know what I might. You know what I'm going to do? I am going to create a Twitter account. Mind you, I had one, but it was for <laughs> it was strictly for uh, your personal anime account for a while. Set. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I was like, well, I don't do that anymore, so I don't need this anymore. Um, strictly to for, to engage uh, kind of with communities, right? Uh, probably. Rare you, of course, but you know, barely any personal friends, just to kind of get into that side of social media. You know, in my 20s, I did the personal side of it, and um, full, you know, full discourse, uh, out of context, or if you don't know me, uh, I was, I'm really dumb, and uh, I should be canceled like 10 times over, but we grow, we learn, and now at 33, I realize that abstaining is the social equivalent of, um, not to get political, but, you know, not wearing a mask in this day and age, right? When you go out, it's it's something you just shouldn't do. And social media, you know, I always talk about how positive it is and whatnot. I think, you know, making a profile, you know what, soundtrack on the sticks, you know, that'll be kind of the base. Let's get back into it, you know, engage with some people, talk to some people, and not, uh, you know, be be who I always felt like I was and not the dum-dum on the internet that I was in my 20s. Well, once we get to our next podcast, then we will have that Twitter handle for you guys. But until then, yes, you can follow us on Twitter, as a matter of fact, on Sounds on Sticks. Uh, you can also follow me personally on Twitter. That's at Brazilian Fury. Brazilian with an S instead of a Z. Uh, you can also check out our main website for the podcast, notlg.com, uh, where you'll find not only this podcast, but many other podcasts, such as Podcastica, which is your Doctor Who fix, Tornado Tag Radio, where John and Marianne just talk good old raps, uh, mostly AEW these days, but then you also have stuff like I Know What You Podcasted Last Summer, or Talkadukes, <laughs> or Girls Interrupting, or again, just a variety of different shows there that you can check out. You have the Pinkcroft Pod, which has been John, one of the co-owners of the NOTOG Network, and his fiance Lauren, going through uh, old baseball movies pretty much in reviewing them. Some which they haven't seen, some which they have, uh, with the whole premise behind it being John being the baseball guy and Lauren being a filmmaker, producer on her uh, spectrum of things. So those two worlds sort of combining for some really entertaining comments uh, on the matter of those baseball movies. So that's just an example of what you can expect uh, within the network in and of itself. You can also go to notlg.spreadshirt.com. You can buy any of our merchandise there, such as a the everything we get it. You have a podcast t-shirt, mugs, cups, you know, all sorts of memorabilia. And memorabilia, excuse me, to celebrate uh, NOTLG as a whole. Uh, outside of all the plugs that we have in this case, you can also support Soundtracks on the Sticks and any of the other fine NOTLG podcasts by becoming a patron by going to patreon.com slash NOTLG. Uh, outside of that, Jordan, uh, anything else for us before we take off? You know what? There's one more thing. I will take a moment to say um, this is, of course, entertainment. Uh, you know, uh, Chris and I have known each other for about eight, uh, 
nine years face to face, eleven thanks to the power of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just about. And we're all we're all connect. We always talk about how humans, you know, we're all connected. But through this platform that is the internet, it's still young, and there are still difficulties in us being so connected. But I do think in a time like this, um, if you're in the United States of America, and I'm nothing specific, you know, or any place, but there's a global pandemic. Uh, some of our, our wounds, our old sins, um, our past uh, catching up to us. At times like this, there is still time go out and, you know, you can go out and be an activist, uh, go out and learn, go out and live your truth and, you know, but I do believe that now more than ever, entertainment and positivity and positivity through entertainment and discourse about the things you care about are more important than ever. Because none of us really know we're dealing with something that is nature, you know? Unless the propaganda show and we find out this is all like a bioweapon or something, like it's, you know, a movie. Yeah. But viral streams, things like that, Mother Nature is above us. Um, this is something we don't know when we're trying every day. So even if it's only for a little bit, entertainment is that endless entertainment, connection, conversation, communities, discourse is at your fingertips. And as a 33-year-old, uh, I remember when it, you know, and you do too, when it wasn't. And if you do have the, you know, access to online and whatnot, if this was going on when, you know, I was a younger man, with, and I was just alone with my thoughts, with no internet, nobody to talk to, really, who knows how I feel, you know? Now we have opportunities, so I will just say, don't forget about the stuff that makes you smile on a normal day, and um, maybe take the time to talk to somebody about it, even a total stranger, you never know. Chris was literally a username on the internet the first time I spoke to him and you know here we are so and why how do we get to oh you like this thing I like oh you like this other thing I like oh look at that oh you know only on the internet in real life that's a passing conversation on the internet turned to a 11 year friendship so mm-hmm. yeah definitely. You know, don't Just... forget about your loves and your passions even when it seems like the world is on fire is pretty much what I'm getting to say because nothing's more powerful than community and we have unprecedented time to make you even yeah so you know yeah again everybody thanks for sticking with us once again for another episode uh, we'll hopefully see you much sooner than this last time around we'll figure something out uh, again thanks yeah. have a good rest of your day take care absolutely bye